When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abual Samet. Let's just dive right into it. Okay, you're driving the Odyssey and the I-Pace, um, and I had the Mazda 6 Signature and the Volkswagen Jetta, so why don't you go first? Because uh, I'm interested in the Honda Odyssey, but also, most importantly, the I-Pace. So, so are you going to make me wait, or should we Yes, absolutely. Okay, excellent. All right, carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just got back last night from uh, from a trip to California. I was out there for uh, like five days, four or five days. Uh, for I spent a uh, couple of days in the uh, Petaluma area, driving around in the uh, Jaguar I-Pace, and, and then uh, went to an Intel Analyst Summit uh, in Santa Clara. But before that, I had the uh, the 2019 Honda Odyssey Elite, um, which is the the most loaded possible version of the uh, of the Honda minivan that you can get. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty loaded. All right. You know, it comes with just about everything, almost everything you can imagine, except for any kind of hybrid powertrain. Um, so <laughs> like like all Odysseys right now, uh, it's powered by a three point five liter V6 uh, Honda's very nice engine. Uh Paired with a 10-speed automatic transmission, and and the the Odyssey just got a redesign last year, uh, so it's still pretty fresh. Uh, although you know the design was the the redesign was kind of um, evolutionary more than revolutionary. You know they kept the the same kind of zigzag belt line that they had on the previous generation Odyssey, um, and added some sculpting to the to the sides to give it a, a little more interesting look to it. Um, and uh, changed the the front and the rear, and changed just about everything inside. You know, so uh, the Odyssey, you know, for a long time has generally been considered, you know, one of the best minivans out there. Not that there's a whole lot of minivans left out there, but you know, it's 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 always been a, a fairly well regarded van. Um, and like most modern minivans, it's not so many anymore. Uh, you know, it uh, the the elite version comes really well equipped with all kinds of gadgetry and technology in it. Um, it, you know, they've got, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Honda's latest uh, infotainment system in there, um, which, you know, includes uh, such revolutionary technologies as a rotary volume knob. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but does it have uh, a vacuum? 
yes, it does. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it does. <laughs> I didn't actually try the vacuum. I didn't have any need to to vacuum anything, but uh, but I believe it does have the vacuum in the back. Uh, if it if this one didn't, it's a it's definitely available uh, right. with a built in vacuum. So you know. One of the main reasons for having a minivan is, you know, if you have kids to haul around uh, and, you know, if you have kids to haul around, a minivan is more often than not actually a much more logical choice than, you know, say an SUV, uh, like a Grand Cherokee or something like that. Um, you know, especially if you've got younger kids, you know, and you've got to strap them into booster seats, you know, with, you know, with an SUV, you know, you've got to reach up and get them into the seat and reach around to get them buckled in and everything. And it's, it's a Royal pain. Um, you know, minivans are, you know, a little closer to the ground. Um, and with the, the sliding doors, you know, sliding doors are awesome when you've got young kids, that are getting in and out um, because they, they never get, you know, flipped open and, and, you know, uh, denting the, the cars parked next to you in the parking lot. Um, it's a lot easier to maneuver around them. It's a lot easier to reach inside, you know, when you're, when you're handling those kids, um, you know, minivans are just, they're the, they're the perfect form factor for a family with kids. Which is why uh, everybody hates them. Apparently. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you're right. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't pretend to understand the the logic of typical um, American car buyers. I, it just does not make sense to me, but, you know, it does not compute, as they would say. Um, but, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the Odyssey, you know, has a lot of great stuff in it. Um, unlike the Chrysler minivans, the Pacifica and, and the older Dodge Caravan, which is still kicking around, um, you can't get there's no stow and go seats uh, in the Odyssey. That's something that is unique to the the Chryslers. But um, it does have some some other interesting features. If you get the the option with uh, just the two seats in the second row, you can actually slide the seats left and right. So you can uh, if you push them both to the outside, you'll have a walkway down the middle. If if you want to have easier access from the driver's side, you can push them both both over to the uh, to the to the right, or some, uh, conversely from the other side, you can push them both both over to the left. So you can move them around and, and do all kinds of fun stuff with them. Um, the uh, the Odyssey's also got some neat features built in, uh, like the ability to connect. Uh, multiple phones uh, to the infotainment system and you know you can hand off control to somebody sitting in the second or third row to control the music uh, that's playing or you know whatever audio is playing from another from a, a separate device uh, other than the driver's phone um, which you know can be you know can be cool can be fun on a road trip you know if you want to hand off control to different people to to manage it you have to use an app on your have to load up a Honda app on your phone to do it, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty interesting feature, but overall, you know, the, the Odyssey is a really nice minivan, you know, drives and handles really well. Um, it's got decent fuel economy. It's not, not great fuel economy. I got about 22 miles per gallon, I think. Um, you know, and if, if you really want, you know, to get the, the maximum in efficiency, 
your best bet is absolutely the Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid. Um, but other than that, you know, the, the Odyssey is one of the, you know, probably one of the best options. And, you know, as I said, because it's, it's much newer than, uh, the Toyota Sienna, you know, it's got features that the Sienna lacks. And, and even when, you know, when the next generation Sienna arrives, it probably won't have Android auto, uh, capability in it, which no other Toyota does at this point yet. Um, Honda supports both, uh, Android auto and Apple CarPlay, uh, so, you know, it's it, it's just a it's a great family hauler. Yeah, well, I always found that the Odyssey drives if you like driving, it has that little bit of of sportiness in it that none of the other vans tend to have. You know, the Sienna is sort of uh a lot more compliant, I guess, and soft and the the Pacifica is is also set up kind of soft and and not to embarrass itself, but it doesn't it doesn't give you the things that the Odyssey does in terms of like there's actual some some steering feel and feedback in the Odyssey, which I was surprised by the last time I drove one. Um, you can still have a good time behind the wheel of it. And like you say, you know, the fact that those doors on the sides, they open up and you can get right in there. There's a huge opening and um, it, it makes a really good case for a van being the ideal vehicle and it it's still it's nicely appointed that's the other thing i don't like about the sienna is it's such an old model now they changed the outside they've not changed the inside of the sienna for like a decade yeah <laughs> and it feels it's got the, probably the worst interior that you can find in a toyota right now and and the the odyssey's you know when they refreshed it they made sure to to step it up a little bit with materials and and i'm sure in the elite it's quite nice oh yeah um, it's very nice which is befitting its price tag yeah you know, um uh, the right, base that's odyssey get lx you know starts at just over thirty thousand. uh by the time you step up to the elite you know with its heated and ventilated front seats uh, wireless phone charger uh, 11 speaker premium audio system rain sensing wipers and all kinds of other stuff you're talking forty seven thousand dollars yeah uh and the I guess what it's a good deal at that thirty thousand dollar level. What's kind of annoying is that all the stuff you you want, I think they make you pay extra for. Like I don't think it comes standard with the the better headlights and stuff. I know that there's some standard safety equipment, but you know the touring and elite trim levels are sort of when you're that family buyer, you want all the goodies because it it sort of keeps the peace, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to pay for it. You're gonna have to dig in for it. That's that's a little annoying to me. There's no sort of like mid level that's equipped, and there are mid level. Well, there there are there are mid level ones, I, you know, that have a lot of the features. You know, they just don't have everything. Right. So my statement giveth and taketh away. I guess there is that <laughs> mid level, uh, but shop carefully. But it, no, it's a, it's a it's a really really good van, and I in the past had had said you know I, I sort of like the softness and compliance of the Sienna. Um, better but i don't think that's the case anymore i think i i think i like the um the odyssey probably the best as a driver's vehicle um and and it has the 10-speed auto right so and yeah. I, I can't remember how long ago it got that whether that's a, a it, last year when when they did the when they did the redesign last year is when they introduced the 10-speed automatic so how is that with the the v6 does it get confused does it hunt or is it it doesn't really seem to hunt at all. You know, it, it's got it's got pretty good control um, and didn't really do 
anything you know unexpected or you know didn't it it didn't it wasn't annoying in any way let's put it that way and with a family van there's so many other things to annoy you <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the family <laughs> yeah that's true and i'm looking at the trim levels now so you can get like an exl with leather and stuff and that'll that'll come in at like 37 and that that's right, right. in the middle of and, the range and you know all every um, every trim level except for the base LX comes standard with the Honda Sensing package, which is the the driver assist package. So you get adaptive cruise control, lane keeping system, uh, blind spot monitors, things like that. That comes standard on everything but the 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 absolute cheapest version. Yeah. So I mean, you remember when minivans were the thing that everybody was uh, complaining about? Oh yeah. Yeah. Now 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 they don't complain about them; they just ignore them. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's a damn shame. I, I, yeah, I kind of wish, you know, we had more more people in vans. It's just, just easier to get in and out of, and they're bigger. Like, the amount of space in the van is just incredible. But um, I, I'm still oh, more interested one, one in the of the, One of the, the you know, <laughs> if you if you do have uh, young ones, you know, one of the, the neat features that they have on the Touring and Elite uh, trim levels is what something they call Cabin Watch, which uh, oh, has right. a... It, there's a there's a camera that has uh, night vision capability that's mounted uh, on the roof on the ceiling uh, just behind the driver that um, will display on the infotainment screen so you can keep an eye on what's going on in the back uh, you know so you can see if the kids are fighting or asleep you know without having to turn around and actually look at them you can just look at this you know glance over at the screen and then you know yell at them without actually turning around and taking right. your eyes it's off the road. It is legitimately eyes in the back of your head. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for teenage dating, um, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and, oh, poor kids. They can't get away with anything. But at least it doesn't have the voice of God thing. Like, uh, I think it. I, I think that's the Sienna 2 that has that, right? Where it, it goes over the audio system. Uh, actually, I think they do have that on here. Do, do they? I believe they do, yes. So you can... Oh, you can you can speak to uh, people back in the back in the third row yeah, um, a, over the audio a, system, like a pilot. Like, oh, we got a little turbulence here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <in> for... <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I mean, I'm still like I said, I'm still a lot more interested in the the electric Jaguar. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the electric Jaguar then. So you know, it's funny, you know, in my formative years. You know, British cars were something that I really liked, but they they had a terrible reputation, uh, you know, and uh, a big part of that reputation, you know, for their, their quality and reliability reputation was related to their electrical systems. Um, you know, they most British cars, you know, of the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s had uh, Luke had electrical systems produced by a company called Lucas, uh, which as it turns out, I actually worked for at one point in time, <laughs> one point in my career. Uh, Prince but Joe, jo yeah, <laughs> Joe, jo Joseph Lucas, the, uh, the, the founder of, of Lucas, um, you know, the running joke when I was growing up was that, you know, he was the Prince of Darkness and, you know, it would, it would not be uncommon to find, you know, cartoons and car magazines, you know, with um, Lucas headlight switches in, in British cars, you know, that were labeled, you know, that were toggle switches labeled, you know, off, flicker and dim. Um, so, you know, the... the 
British cars were just generally, you know, notorious for bad electrical systems, and in particular Jaguars. Um, which is why, if you look, you know, if you shop around for old classic Jaguars, it's actually, you know, surprisingly not. Are surprisingly common to find vintage Jaguars that have been retrofitted with American, you know, particularly Chevy small block V8s, because the the small block V8 was you know was literally small enough, you know, it's it's such a tidy package you could fit it into all kinds of different cars, and um, you know it made for a much more reliable, better performing vehicle than the you know than you would often get with the original engines, but. What we have now that was, you know, went on sale in Europe a few months ago and uh, started deliveries uh, about a month and a half ago here in the U.S. is the Jaguar I-Pace, the first all-electric Jaguar. And, you know, it's been tough to get into one of these because, you know, it's up for it's one of the finalists for North American Car of the Year this year. And so, you know, as it as it happens, unless you're a juror for one of the, you know, one of the Car of the Year programs, it's it's been tough to get into one. But I managed to, to snag one for a weekend while I was in California and uh, drove it up to Petaluma and, and you know this weekend on uh, the new screensaver show uh, you'll see the segment I did with Leo Laporte uh, where we took it for a drive and, and reviewed it but I I spent a bunch of time on my own just driving it around Northern California and this is a fantastic car to drive um, you know it's sort of a semi crossover more like a tall hatchback it doesn't really look like any other jag before. Uh, you know, it's got some of the, the current contemporary design, Jaguar design cues like the, the grill, the headlights, the taillights, you know, kind of the, the shape of the side glass. But it's it's really, you know, uh, Ian Callum, who's the head of design at Jaguar, you know, has described it. You know, they wanted to take this opportunity when they were doing their first electric Jaguar to really take advantage of the electric powertrain, you know, so this thing has the, the typical kind of layout you find on most modern EVs. The, the battery pack is, you know, low and under the floor. Um, there's two motors, just like, uh, you know, most Teslas and most other uh, higher performance uh, EVs. About 400 horsepower right now in this initial version. I suspect at some point there will be a, a higher performance version as well. Um, and, you know, that's good for zero to 60 of about four and a half seconds. Uh, and it feels really good because in typical EV fashion, you know, you've got all your torque right off the line. Um you know, so it's it's quick. You know, not as not as ludicrously quick as a you know as a top end Tesla, but more than quick enough for you know pretty much anything you want to do except drag racing a Tesla. Um, and you know, th for the most part, you know, there I had very few complaints about this car. Uh, I like the way it looks. Um, I like the way it drives, you know, driving around, you know, some of the curving roads, you know, around uh, in Northern California, you know, it was it, it was great to drive, even on some particularly broken pavement. You know, it still has decent ride quality, even on the the twenty two inch wheels that were on the one that I was driving. Uh, you know, this one was a uh, you know basically loaded with all the available options, including a forty three hundred dollar carbon fiber appearance package uh, that you know had added carbon fiber caps on the mirrors and carbon fiber trim on the the rocker panels and carbon fiber inserts on the twenty two inch alloy wheels. Uh, uh, it was bits of carbon fiber everywhere. Um, and even on those, on those wheels, it, uh, it still, you know, got, um, you know, had decent ride quality. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't plush, but it was, it was more than comfortable enough. Um, the, 
the only real complaints I, I had about this thing, the infotainment system was, you know, kind of the, the standard infotainment system that's on the, the latest batches of Jaguars and Land Rovers. You know, so you had kind of a, a dual screen setup. It was the upper screen, but it was the primary screen and then a smaller one below it that was in between two rotary knobs for the, the climate control. And those rotary knobs had their own little displays in the middle of them that showed the temperature. So when you turn, twist the knob, you know, for the dual zone climate control, uh, you would, you know, you'd see the temperature temperature displayed right in the middle of the knob, um, you know, and then in between that was a smaller screen you use to, you know, uh, direct where you want the air to go and things like that. The, the car I was driving was a pre still a pre-production model, you know, so it, was, it wasn't one of the, uh, it, it hadn't been updated with the latest software yet uh, that's going in the cars that are shipping to customers. So it didn't yet have support for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, um, which is in the, the, the cars that are going to customers. And the interface was a little slow at times, especially, you know, if you were trying to tap in a destination on the, the, the virtual keyboard um, for the, the navigation system, uh, you, you know, you, you tap a letter, you know, and you'd have to wait like, you know, two seconds before it actually appeared on the screen. It was, it was, you know, very annoying. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it worked okay. The only other issue, and this is, this is an issue, you know, most everybody is complaining about with the, the I-Pace, um, you know, it has a 90 kilowatt hour battery pack, um, which is, you know, what was on, you know, all the top end Teslas until they, they added, until they shifted to a hundred kilowatt hour version, uh, sometime early this year or late last year. Um, and you would think, you know, Teslas with 90 kilowatt hour battery packs, we're getting about 300 miles of range and the I-Pace is only rated at 238. Um, so yeah, that, and that was my question what, is, is what that's all about and, and what kind of range you saw out of it. Yeah. So, you know, the, the 238, you know, is what you get on like the standard 18 or 19 inch wheels, um, you know, on the 22s, you know, those are quite a bit heavier. They have a lot more inertia. Um, and you know, the tires, you know, this one was running on Pirelli P zeros, which are great for handling. Um, not so great for low rolling resistance. Uh, so, you know, I, yeah, you know, I would estimate I was getting closer to maybe 210 or so uh, based on, you know, the the rate at which it you know seemed to be consuming. You know, I, I would estimate that if I ran it all the way down to zero, I could probably get just, you know, 205 to 210 uh, miles, maybe, which is, you know, it's OK. You know, it's it's, it's fine for most uh, most driving, but, you know, it's not. You know, it's not what you would expect out of a car with a battery that size. Uh, you know, the, the Chevy Bolt has, you know, a battery that's one third smaller. It's a 60 kilowatt hour battery and it gets, you know, better range than that. Uh, so, you know, the, the range was not great. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, you know, everything else about it, I did like it. Ha it gives you the option uh, to, you know, set the default to be uh uh, you know, for the, the regenerative braking, you can set the default to be strong regenerative braking. So you can basically drive it one pedal, you know, without ever touching the brakes, um, you know, and it'll bring the car to a full stop. Um, you know, it's 
the you know all the you know everything else about the car you know has a lovely interior very comfortable and supportive seats um the oh one other one other complaint uh, as well as while i'm at it uh is visibility straight out the back you know when you look at the ipace you'll see it's got a fairly high rear deck um you know there's basically a fairly narrow slit of a rear window um you know so you know, you're, you're not going to see much straight out the back of the car. You know, obviously it's got a backup camera system as, as all new cars do now, uh, when you're backing out of a parking space. But, um, you know, when you're just driving down the road, when you glance at the mirror, you're, you aren't going to see a whole lot behind you. You've, you've uh, got 510 feet of torque. So well, behind that, that, you, it doesn't matter. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, you know, I did try out a couple of DC fast charging stations, uh, in the Petaluma area. Um, and right now there's, um, all of the, there's a, there, uh, the, the two DC fast charging stations that were nearby where I was are both 50 kilowatt, uh, stations. Um, the, the IPACE does support hundred kilowatt charging right now. Uh, and I've seen at least a couple of reports where people have tried it on 150 kilowatt chargers and it, and they did get it to charge at like 135 to 140 kilowatts. Um, so, you know, at 150 kilowatts, um, you can get, uh, you know, about an 80% charge, you know, in about, four, uh, about half an hour, um, at a hundred kilowatts, you know, it's about 40 to 45 minutes, 50 kilowatts. You know, I got about, I think about, uh, 60, uh, about 60 miles of charge in about half an hour, uh, you know, which is, it's okay, but it's not great. Um, you know, and particularly because you know, both of the stations uh, that I tried out, you know, were not necessarily where there was some place where I could go do something else. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, that's a pro that's an EV problem in general right now uh, until until we start getting more of the high power uh, DC fast charging stations built out. And that's that's something that's happening while I was out there last week. Um, Electrify America opened up their first station in California, um, which uh, was in Livermore. Uh, and that one has 150 and 350 kilowatt chargers. So, um, you know, by the time these are out, you know, out there in the coming months, you know, in higher volumes, um, you know, there will be a lot more of these stations around. Well, and that, I think that's an opportunity uh, at some point for some either existing or a new company to figure out is like, look, if it's going to take us 20 minutes or a half hour to, to get a decent amount of charge into these cars and people are going to need to cool their heels. What, what can, what is the opportunity for us to keep them occupied? Because it's not really that long an amount of time. Um, and, and it's, it brings you back to the idea of, you know, the diners with the restaurants and, and, and with the gas pumps and that kind of stuff. Uh, so, and, and that's what, you know, some of the charging companies are trying to do, but you know, it's, it's hard to find a combination of good locations where there are some amenities like that, but that also have the electrical capacity to support DC yeah. fast charging. Cause that's, that's the other side of the, the issue, you know, is if you're going to put in, you know, charging stations, like if you're going to put in a, a facility that has 10 charging stations that can each do 150 kilowatts and that, you know, and two of them that can also do 350 kilowatts. That's a lot of electrical capacity you got to have going into that yeah. station. And, you know, there's a lot of 
there's not a lot of places that have that much power available. Yeah. And so if, if you want to put it in a particular location, it doesn't have that much power available, you know, getting a utility to build it up, you know, to, to run that capacity to that spot or paying to have that capacity put in is really expensive. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's why, you know, that's, that's one of the big challenges with, you know, figuring out where to site these uh, stations. And is that going to be made any better sort of by having localized large scale storage where they, they just put in batteries and they run the fast charging off, off battery and, and charge it back up. Yeah. That, that, that have... certainly helps, uh, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, that's something, you know, especially for these 150 to 350 kilowatt chargers, that's something that is pretty much going to be essential, you know, to, is to have, you know, banks of, of stationary storage uh, located on site. So you can get those bursts of power because, you know, if, you know, because this, this is the other thing, you know, because these are commercial facilities, um, you know, the the companies operating these charging stations, you know, they're um, the way they charge, you know, the way utilities charge for commercial customers versus residential customers is they do what they call demand charges. And because, you know, if you're going to if you're going to have capacity for 350 kilowatts, even if you're not using it most of the time, they have to build out that capacity. And so, uh, you know, what happens is, you know, they you get charged, you know, a, a meter rate, um, you know, like at home, you know, you have a much lower capacity coming into your house. So you get just you just get charged a rate per kilowatt hour for commercial customers uh, where there's more capacity available. Um, if you go above a certain threshold of of power usage at any given time, at any point during the month, you get charged at a much higher rate for everything you use during that month. So, you know, say you're using, you know, say your normal uh, consumption is, you know, 50 kilowatts, but you have a couple of spikes that go to 200 kilowatts. You're going to get charged based on that 200 kilowatt uh, rate and it, you know, the costs go up dramatically. And this is one of the things that's hit Tesla really hard uh, over the last couple of years. And this is why they're cutting back on giving free supercharging because it's enormously expensive to do that. So, you know, companies like Electrify America and ChargePoint and EVgo are, you know, they're adding in, you know, battery banks for these uh, high power DC, uh, fast charging stations. As long as they balance the amount of batteries they have with the amount of current they're using like it'll it'll it's magic it'll, yeah it'll well you know but those batteries aren't cheap either though so yeah, that's true um so do you feel that the ipace is really is it the future of jaguar it's it's quite different like you said from other jaguars but it also still retains that jaguarness to a certain degree is, is this more of is it, we can expect more of this from jaguar Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, reports are that the next XJ is going to be uh, an electric only vehicle. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And uh, and there's been some reports recently that Jaguar is considering just going straight EV, nothing but EVs by 2025. So, um, it, yes, the, the I-PACE <laughs> definitely represents the future of Jaguar. What did you find its most standout? Uh, I know it was a pre-production car, but like, what was the most standout feature or or characteristic about it to you? Uh, aside from the the noise or lack thereof, it just it drives like a Jaguar, you know. So it's fast. It handles really well. Um, you know, I, I just I just really enjoyed driving it. 
It has great driving dynamics. I didn't do any off-roading with it, although, you know, from the, the, uh, the, the first media drives that they did uh, earlier this year, earlier this summer, um, you know, in Portugal, you know, they did have an off-road course and apparently, you know, with the right tires, it's actually quite good off-road as well. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's just, it's just a great vehicle to drive. That seems odd. That, I mean, I know that they're they're pitching it as an SUV, but it's not, that's not a thing I would ever. Consider. Well, they're not really pitching it as an SUV, though. You know, I mean, it's it's a crossover, but it's really more like just a tall five door hatch. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, it's fun when I was you know doing this stuff with Leo. You know, pulled it pulled it up next to his Model X. You know, and it's it's a full foot shorter than a Model X. Um, and it's not near, you know, it's, it's the model X is several inches taller as well. So it's, it's a significantly smaller vehicle than a Tesla model X. Um, but you know, it, it drives, it drives like a Jaguar is, you know, is all I can say, you know, it, yeah. it's got really good steering feel, um, you know, great, um, great road, road holding, you know, and because it's an EV with all that mass in the bottom of the car, it's got, you know, almost no body roll. Uh, and, you know, compared to a Tesla, you know, I mean, Teslas are really fast in a straight line, but frankly, you know, the Model S and the Model X don't really handle all that well. And, you know, because they're kind of big and bulky, um, you know, they're uh, when you're on tight, you know, curving mountain roads, they're, they're not that fun to drive in those kinds of environments. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's more of a great highway cruiser, Yeah, but not so much, you know, as a, as a sports car and the Jag, the I-Pace drives much more like a sports car. Huh. Well, I mean that that's good. That, that bodes well. Because uh, I was thinking about this. Is like, you know, as as we sort of continue to get down that road, like it, it's still going to be nice to drive cars, no matter how they're powered. And I'm glad that we're actually seeing that now with with the the I Pace and, and other sort of premium EVs. It, and it's still a premium car. You know, it, it's oh, yeah, very absolutely. much a direct. And that, and this this is Tesla. the other thing. You know, especially you know when you compare it to a Tesla. Teslas are expensive but they don't really feel very premium. You know, their interiors are kind of Spartan and the, the materials don't feel, um, you know, like, like pre- they don't feel like the kind of materials that you would expect in a, in a car that costs a hundred thousand dollars or more. Yeah. And you know, the I-Pace, the one I drove, um, you know, it was loaded with everything, you know, and it came to about, it was 93,000. Uh, but you know, it starts at 70,000 before the, the $7,500 tax credit. Um, you know, which is certainly not cheap. Um, but you know, even, even at, even at the $70,000 price point, uh, it, you know, it feels much more premium than a Tesla does. Now, granted, you don't have as much range, you don't have as much absolute acceleration capability, but, uh, you know, depending on what you're looking for, it, it may be a better choice for you. Yeah. And I don't think either of those things are actually terribly important. They're, they're, they, they're comparison points on paper, but yeah. the the range is plenty for most people and the acceleration, like nobody's ever going to use it really. And once you get to the point of being that quick again, like it's, that's quicker than anybody can really handle anyway. You know, oh yeah, general. absolutely. Yeah, you know, four and a half seconds zero to sixty is is more than you know. Any really realistically, anything under you know eight or nine seconds zero to sixty is more than enough to merge onto freeway traffic, which is the main time that you're you know that you're going to use you know your maximum acceleration you know in in regular driving. Yeah, I, so and I, it, the I pace is sort of like the first of several, or it's it's one of the early. Um, 
arrivals of of several premium EVs from established automakers, established premium brands. So it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out against stuff like the Model Three and um, the Model X. I know, like you said, the Model X. Is well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not really a competitor to the three, uh, and it's not. I mean, it's not. It doesn't really have. A, any direct competition in the current Tesla lineup because it's, it's smaller than the, the X, you know, it's closer in size to the S um, and, and certainly closer in price to the S uh, it's bigger than a three uh, and more expensive than a three. So it's not, it doesn't really have a direct Tesla competitor and, you know, really, you know, I think, Anybody that's really interested in what Tesla offers is probably not going to be so interested in this, but somebody that that likes what Jaguar represents and happens to want something electric, you know, would probably find this a lot, a lot more appealing car than a Tesla. And, you know, if you like what classic Jaguar represents, you know. Um, I don't know. I think we talked about it before, but you know, Jaguar uh, a while ago announced that they are going to produce the E-Type Zero, um, which right, they showed yeah. as a as a concept. I think at Geneva this year, you know, um, Jaguar Special Vehicle Operations will uh, will do conversions on E-Types. If you know, so if you have an E-Type or you want an electric E-Type, you can bring it to to Jaguar, and they will turn it into an EV. And you know, also in the process, if it's not restored they they can do full restorations and everything so they can basically make you a brand new e-type that's you know zero emissions uh in fact they're they're not the only ones who you know recently to announce something like that uh aston martin just announced a program um you know starting with the db6 um to do reversible ev conversions so you can bring a, a classic uh aston uh, to them and they will convert it from internal combustion to uh, an electric uh, vehicle. But, you know, in the process, they will also preserve all the parts that they remove from the car. So if at some point in the future you decide you want to go back to the original powertrain, uh, they can restore it back to the way it was. Uh, that's an amazing thing to just see. They're, they're just looking for a new revenue stream. It's so clever. Oh yeah. It's just, it's, it's just interesting to watch. Um, all right. Well, so right, what'd you drive? I had uh, last week. I had the Mazda six um, signature, which is, it's a lovely sedan. Um, and then this week I'm driving the, the Jetta S the new Jetta S. But so this, the six feels like a, a premium driver's car should. Uh, and it, it's an interesting contrast against these two. Cause they're sort of competitors. Um, you know, the design of the six is fantastic. Uh, being a visual person, who has a marginally creative job. Um, <laughs> that's, that's high on my list. Uh, and, and so I thought that the, the six, especially in signature trim, it's a car that looks, it presents pr itself as premium, no matter what its actual price is. It, it's kind of the same thing that uh, much of the Volvo lineup does. Like you, you look at it and it, it looks a particular way uh, uh, and it makes it hard to peg, the price you actually wind up thinking that it's more expensive than it is because generally expensive goods and cars and things tend to uh, have more attention placed on design you know they they it's more of a premium for a premium car i suppose um but because design was a priority when you when you bother with refining something you know it it talk, it, it sort of intrinsically speaks to that deep commitment um, to 
a quality piece. And then the six is really like, it's a, it's a quality sedan. I know you've driven it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a really good car to drive. And, and this one was my first time driving the turbocharged six. Uh, so I really liked the power. I liked the balance and, and the poise of it. Uh, it's, it's quite good to drive. Um, I, I did think the turbo engine is a little bit, I didn't like the engine note, I guess. That's what I was trying to say. Oh. <laughs> like, it's kind of growly, you know, and, and it's not as, it's not what I expected. Uh, it's just definitely powerful and it works really well with its uh, its automatic transmission and, and the chassis is set up really nicely. But uh, I, I thought it made a little bit more noise uh, and like not not necessarily pleasant noise, not unpleasant either, but just like, I don't know. It seemed a little uncharacteristic where everything else is sort of luxurious and you've got a little bit of engine note in there, um, which seems like a weird complaint, uh, but I guess it, it's just sort of, it, 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 it sounds like it, like it should be, you know, in a Mazda speed vehicle, as opposed to uh, a, a standard, you know, like a contemporary Mazda set, you know, uh, you know, the more premium feeling Mazda six. Yeah. Or just, you know, it's some, even with four cylinders, you know, some sound, uh, you know, a little more trucky. Some sound a little like this one was kind of had a little bit of a growl to it. Some sound more like a little sewing machine, a little, little smoother. And the pitch of the noise is different. So it's, it's just more of an aesthetic thing, I suppose. Uh, and then the other sort of mild complaint I had was the, the fuel economy was not spectacular, but part of that was it's it's hard to keep your foot out of it. <laughs> uh, so I got mid twenties uh, fuel it's, economy. It's, it's too it's too enticing to take advantage of the power that it has. Yeah, and it drives it drives really well, and it's it's just it's a really nice car uh, it, to the point where you sit and you go this clearly this car was designed and built by people that understand the things that push our buttons um, as a, as a car person, you know, it was, it's just the design inside is also beautiful and it operates really well and it doesn't feel like it's gimmicky either. So it's just, it's a, it's a car that's meant to be a car. I really liked the signature trim because it's, it has that bit of luxury. There was that suede that's on the, um, the door panels and the dashboard that even my, uh, my daughter was like petting the dash when I took her to school <laughs> one day. So, uh, that's a little different, you know, Not, I haven't seen that in, in too many cars in this, especially in this class, uh, that particular use of the materials. So that was nice. Um, the infotainment's not great. And because I'm spending a lot more time now in crossovers, it's, it's hard to get a perfect read on how the the size of, of a sedan actually stacks up. But I feel like this is just like solid in the middle of the class. You know, the back seat is, is uh, it's decent. It's not the roomiest. It's not the tightest. Um, you step out of an uh, SUV or a crossover into any sedan. Now they all feel kind of low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, that's a, a little weird, but you know, there's it definitely feels a like, soul. It feels like sliding into a Miata. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, that's also, that's not a bad thing, you know? No, um, not at all. Yeah. I, I, I really do wish that they, they had offered this engine with a manual transmission. Uh, I think that would just turn the enjoyment right up to 11, but uh, I understand why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they would sell, you know, six, maybe 10 of them if they yeah. did that. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, I also they, wish they, they would got make the those, but they would make those six or ten automotive journalists really, really happy. 
Yeah. Because exactly. they're the only ones that would buy them. Well, and we, you know, because like automotive journalists would buy it too, we'd have like 12 year loans on them. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this, the, the six is just, it is probably my favorite, uh, car in the class. Um, and I think it's because it's Mazda and they're a smaller brand. They run the risk of being forgotten sometimes, uh, which is, it's just a shame because everything they make is well, it's, our, really it's our job awesome. to remind people. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't, I, I mean, I, I think that I'm sure you also enjoyed driving the six. It's oh, absolutely. Like our, our and you know, the, 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 the one you know, besides a manual transmission, the one other thing that I think would have made it perfect is if we could get the, the Mazda six wagon here in yes. North America. Yes. Um, they, they offer one in Europe and in Japan, but it's not available here. Um, again, because they would sell, you know, well, at least a good dozen of them. Oh, but it's um, so beautiful. Oh, I know it's, it's a, it's a gorgeous wagon. Um, but you just, they don't sell them here. Look, if Jaguar can bring the XF Sport Brake here, I think Mazda can bring the six wagon. It's really like it's interesting. Mazda is this well, this brand you know, in those like premium a, segments. Though, there for for whatever reason, there are more people that buy premium cars that are interested in in a wagon. You know, I mean, Mercedes sells a decent number of E class wagons. Um, you know, BMW still sells you know um the the 3 series wagon the 3 series not, touring here not for long uh, well yeah <laughs> not and not, probably not with the new one um but you know there there are there are premium customers that are interested in that kind of vehicle um you know unfortunately in the the mainstream there there just aren't you know just Americans just don't want wagons yeah yeah well, well they, want, I mean, they want wagons but they want wagons that are standing 3 inches too high right Right. I, I mean, I haven't looked at it. I wonder if that's a way that they could bring the wagon here is if they were to do like uh, Volkswagen does with the golf uh, sport wagon, with the all track. All track. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you, you never know. I mean, that's not beyond the realm of possibility. You know, Buick does that with the uh, the Regal Tour X and, you know, uh, Subaru does it You know, with the Outback. Audi's got the the um, uh, Quattro all road, you know, the A4 all road. And uh, I think. Sell, no, I don't think they have the A6 here anymore, but they have the A4 all road. You know, so that, you know, that would be one alternative that they could f- pursue if they chose to. Yeah. And it might not be a bad, it might not be a bad way for Mazda to go, you know, um, you know, as they try to, you know, give American customers a few more options that are going to be appealing in the current marketplace. Yeah. And I, I think that just the size of that brand makes them very careful. About yeah. what they they do. I mean, they they make everything they make has this this sporty soul, and it it just feels really good to drive. From even like the CX three, it's you know, <laughs> in in no way is it better than say a hatchback, uh, other than people will actually buy it. And yeah. so you can't get on for that. Yeah, no, I mean you you, you got to do what you got to do to you know to have a viable business. You know, you you have to. You have to sell the products that customers actually want to spend money on. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the money is not even that bad either. You know, so this the six is it's not that expensive to start. And when you get to the signature, it becomes the highest trim level. Uh, but it topped out at like thirty six, just over thirty six thousand on the, the Monroney. So that's really not too bad. 
uh, for yeah, what I mean you that's get. That, that's absolutely competitive with you know with what you'd pay for like a fusion titanium or, or a fusion platinum, um, or you know the 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 Accord Touring or the uh, the top end Camrys. You know they're they're all in that same price range as well. Yeah, I almost feel like they're actually those are probably a little more expensive, but I haven't directly compared. So, um, I don't know. I I, I will give the the six a ringing endorsement. Uh, this is a great car. And if you need a sedan, you should go buy one. <laughs> so they keep making them. Yeah. Um, and so the, the Jetta, it, we, we talked on Slack about this a little bit. Uh, I was really surprised by the, the new Jetta too. Um, it's also a very good sedan in a, in a different way. I've got a Jetta S, so it's not really luxurious at all, but it's, it's just a solid, you know, midsize, I guess now, uh, or C segment still, sedan you know it feels really good going down the road and i was i was shocked at it even its most in its most basic form it it rides and handles really well it rotates eagerly almost to the point where i felt like is there some passive rear steering or something going on here like how did they set this up I, and i haven't dug into it yet it just it, it feels really good to drive which I, I know when you had it you also said that and and uh i was surprised to hear that and experience it yeah, well, you know, this this time around with the Jetta, you know, lot, the the previous generation when they launched the previous generation in what 2011, 2012, you know, they they decontented it, you know, to get the price down and you know, they went with a twist beam axle and you know, a bunch of other stuff and it did not have the the feel, you know, it didn't feel as good as as other contemporary Volkswagens. And, you know, this time around, they didn't do that. You know, they, they basically did a, you know, they took the MQB platform, which is under the Golf and, you know, almost everything else VW makes now, um, you know, at least under the VW brand. And, you know, they, they just did a really nice execution there. And I think because they're using a lot of the same components set across so many different vehicles now, you know, they've been able to get the cost down because there's so much component sharing that they're, you know, they're able to offer the, the, the Jetta S starting at eighteen and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, I don't know about, you know, how, how yours turned out, but, you know, the, the fuel economy was also really impressive with this. Oh, I'm amazed by the fuel economy. Yeah. Cause I have, I, I've been using every little bit of power from the TSI, the 1.4 liter TSI, which performs really well. It feels very strong. Uh, and, and and this this thing clips right along, very composed at speed, shall we say? Uh, and it's still it's kicking back like thirty six miles to the gallon, and I could get it f- higher than that if I were less abusive to it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very impressed with the fuel economy too. Yeah, no, it's they they did a nice job on it, and you know, as as we've said before, you know, with the the new warranties that VW has, you know, the six year seventy two thousand on seventy two thousand mile warranty, you know, the, the I think there's no longer any reason to be concerned about you know some of the uh, issues that you know I know I've complained about in the past as a as a prior VW owner, um, and that. You know, I know lots of other VW owners have had, you know, various reliability problems. Um, you know, for at least for the first six years, you're covered bumper to bumper. Yeah, I will say in the S trim, it still feels like there's not a ton of content here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it was interesting to think the, the I had the sport wagon uh, not too long ago, which is the older Jetta at this or older Golf uh, at this point, or maybe it's. Hmm. 
Now that I think about it, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just um, a divide between Jetta and Golf. Yeah, no, the the current sport wagon, uh, Golf Sport Wagon, is also an MQB. Right. Okay. So, so what's weird is that it's got. I mean, the design. You know, the 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 style, the design language. You know, is still. You know, the it's the kind of the older. Uh, generation right. uh, Volkswagen design language. So, you know, with the, the Jetta and the updated uh, Passat that's coming and the Arteon that's also coming uh, in the spring, you know, they've got an, an updated, you know, look, especially to the front of the car, um, you know, with a, a different style of grill and headlights. So, you know, these, these do look a little different, but underneath, you know, the, all the major components are the same. Huh. It's it's interesting because that the Golf Sport Wagon feels a little bit more premium. It's got carpet lined door pan, uh, door pockets that uh, you don't have here, and so, so I missed some of those features because they they're subtle, but they they feel nice when you when you notice them. Um, and so the, the S it, it's still an eighteen thousand dollar car. So it's a very good eighteen thousand dollar car or nineteen thousand dollar car. Do you have the um, manual transmission or the automatic? No, I had the automatic, which is is good. Uh, it, it's a good transmission. It's a good match to the engine. It has a manual mode, a sport mode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it didn't do anything to annoy me. It, it, it should be fine with the manual, but I, I feel like for the mission of the car, you don't really miss it. Um, I'd be more interested in a GLI with a manual, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Which, unfortunately, I, they don't make right now. They will, though. I know they will. Um, uh, yeah, so that that that's my uh, week in automobiles. I will finish it out with the, the Jetta S, and I, I think overall it's a, a solid car. Um, and so let's move on to, to some news. Uh, okay. There's been a few, few developments. Uh, I, I think, do you, can we start with the Valkyrie? Because I think that's the coolest thing I've seen all week. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Aston Martin, uh, probably been what? close to two years now since they first announced their intention to build the Valkyrie, which is, you know, this crazy hypercar, you know, kind of a, almost a, a formula one car for the street, but sort of for the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The coolest. And, you know, that's, that's one of, that's one of the, the things, you know, Aston Martin's um, habit of, of naming, you know, giving, having car names that start with V um, somehow means they always come up with some, some really interesting names like vanquish and vantage and um, you know, and, and now the, uh, the Valkyrie Um, and you know, they, they've been somewhat sparse on technical details up until now. Uh, But this week they uh, revealed some details of the engine for the Valkyrie, um, which is going to be a naturally aspirated 6.5 liter V12 built by Cosworth uh, of racing engine fame with a thousand horsepower and an 11,000 RPM redline. Uh, 11,400 RPM fuel cutoff. Yeah. And um the the peak power comes at like ten thousand five hundred, I think, or ten thousand one hundred um RPM, which is just that's nuts, especially for you know, for such a such a large naturally aspirated engine. You know what I find very curious though? Like yes, it has a thousand horsepower, but it its torque is five hundred and forty five uh foot pounds. So that's a real big delta between the two. I I I'm not sure as if I'm as excited by 545 foot pounds of torque. 
Yeah, well, you know, when you when you when you feel that eleven thousand RPM red line coming up behind your head, you know, you'll be excited. It, you don't don't worry about the torque. Yeah, five hundred. Well, that's true. I, I, uh, yeah. Reading the and this details, this thing doesn't weigh engine. very much. So, um, you know, I, I I think I think you I think you will probably be satisfied, assuming you ever get anywhere near one of these things. Well, well, uh, yes, I'm I'm going to need to spend time with one to evaluate it. So uh, I'll have yeah. to tweet uh, to Andy at Aston, who's who's on Twitter, and just make sure that I get my time with one. Uh, reading the details of the engine are astounding. It's got gear driven camshafts to handle the, that high RPM. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is this is this thing is you know despite its displacement, it's basically built like a form like a classic Formula One engine. Yeah, and this and is this is the way light. they build pure racing engines. It it's 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 small and light. It looks it almost looks like um, <laughs> it almost looks like a rocket motor or something. It's just it is a lot of plumbing on it, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty impressive power unit. Uh, uh, I ah, engines are the coolest. Yeah, <laughs> um, and they they've pretty aggressively gone after weight with it too, because it, it comes in what just under five hundred pounds. Uh, four hundred and fifty four pounds, fully dressed with that's with you know exhaust manifolds and everything else bolted onto the engine, um, which actually, I mean for for a six and a half liter engine, that's. That's okay. Um, that's actually a little bit more than, uh, you know, like a 6.2 liter uh, Chevy small block, which weighs, you know, an aluminum, you know, Chevy small block is only about 400 pounds fully dressed. So it's, you know, it, you know, but this is also, you know, dual overhead cam and everything. Right. So that, that adds weight, you know, with a single cam engine, like the, uh, like the small block, um, you know, that, that helps to keep the size and the weight down. So yeah, it's a, given what you're getting in this thing, that's, that's not a bad weight at all. Yeah. Especially for the power density too. Like that, that 6.2 liter small block doesn't, doesn't make even and, half of the horsepower. Right. And, and that, that thousand horsepower is not all you're going to get. I mean, this is, this thing is going to be a hybrid. Uh, they haven't given yet released details of the, the hybrid side of this, the electric side of it. Um, but there will be, you know, an energy recovery system and an electric boost. So that 545 foot pounds, you know, it, it, you, that will be augmented somewhat by the electric uh, drive uh, system. Huh. It, it it just gets more and more interesting too. Like they're saying, it, it's going to last for they 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 want it to have a service life of a hundred thousand kilometers. So what is that? Sixty six thousand miles. Sixty two. Yeah. Sixty two. I'm just so crappy at math. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then they're just like, yeah. And then you just replace it. It's like uh, okay. Um, well, I'm you sure know, when you're spending two cheap. three million dollars on a car, you know what's a new engine every sixty thousand miles. I mean, you know, and, good for and the for reality, them. you know, like like they say, they don't actually expect many of these to be replaced because they they don't expect most Valkyrie owners to ever accumulate that many miles on the car. I that's a that's a shame though. When you're developing a car, its whole purpose is to be driven, and and so I like if I were developing this car, I'd want somebody to to have to replace three or four engines in it. Oh, I, I would too, months. but you know, I mean, such such is the nature of the people that can afford a multi-million dollar car like this is that they typically have so many cars that you know the ones like this, and you know, this is such an extreme car that you know it's gen, it's just generally not it's not something unless your name is Jim Glickenhaus, you know, you're not likely to drive something like this on a daily basis. 
Yeah, and he seems to just have decided to just make his own car company. Or his, his, yeah, his well, son. yeah, he's doing that now. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, um, Aston Martin has expressed interest. You know, for starting in 2021. Um, they're, they've got a new set of rules for the top class at Le Mans. So the current, uh, LMP one prototypes will be going away following at, at the, you know, at the end of the, um, I guess, I guess it'll be the end of the night, night, 2019, 2020 season. So starting in 2020, um, they're going to a new set of rules that they're calling uh, hypercar rules for now. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a prototype class where the cars are, have some sort of loose connection to road cars. Um, very loose, most, most likely. Uh, but Aston Martin has expressed interest in competing in that class. So uh, we may see a, some, you know, a race car based on the Valkyrie uh, running at Le Mans in 2021 or so, uh, which would be really cool. Yeah. I, that'll definitely tell them whether their engine lasts for, you know, X amount of miles or, or whatever, too. There's nothing more brutal yeah. than endurance racing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the high point of. <laughs> oh, what, <laughs> what, one other interesting little tidbit I saw about this. You, you mentioned the, the gear driven cams. Um, you know, one of the reasons why the, the engine is actually a little bit heavier than they originally intended, the original design had the cam, had the, the gear drive for the camshafts at the front of the engine because and the engine is bolted directly to the carbon fiber tub of this car. So, you know, it's, ba it's basically built like a race car. Um, and with the gear drive system in between the engine and the tub, they found that there was so much noise being transmitted yeah, yeah. through from that gear drive mechanism that it was, it was basically unbearable to, to be in the thing for more than about five minutes at a time. Well, and yeah. I mean, the, the, the tub, if it's bolted to the tub and it's at the front of the tub, the tub kind of acts like an amplifier. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> with something like a carbon fiber tub. So they, they actually uh, changed the, the design of the engine to put the gear drive at the back end of the engine. So you didn't have so much noise being transmitted in. That, see, that's, that's amazing. I want to see one of those. Um, who's the artist that does all the, the cutaways? Kimball? Uh, David um, Kimball. Yeah. Yeah. I, I <laughs> I would love to see a drawing of. I've, I've got a print Valkyrie. of his uh, his drawing of the uh, the Chevy LS9 that was in the the, the uh, 2008 2009 uh, Corvette ZR1 that's on my wall here right in front of me right now. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I remember when the the LT1 uh, it came out in the 90s. That was I just stared at that drawing for quite a while. Um, yeah, my biggest concern about the Valkyrie actually has nothing to do with the car. And it's more about um, the, the sort of the atmosphere for automakers in Britain, given the political movements happening right now. I just, I wonder what any kind of uh, exit from the European union, if it happens um, means for the, the, the auto industry in Britain on the whole, you know, there's a lot of suppliers and not there, just there's going to, there's going to be a significant shift of production out of Britain, uh, following Brexit. You know, a lot of the <clears throat> Jaguar Land Rover, you know, has, has already indicated that they're going to shift a bunch of production out of England. Um, you know, the, the, in fact, the I-Pace is already, that one's made in, um, Austria. It's actually assembled by, uh, by Magna Stier in Austria. Um, and, the uh, the new Land Rover Defender that's coming next year is going to be built, I believe, in the in a new plant in the Czech Republic. So 
yeah, yeah, JLR has already indicated they're going to probably shift most of their production out of England uh, following uh, following Brexit. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Aston Martin do some of that, too. Yeah, Although stuff I, like the Valkyrie is such low volume and so insanely expensive that, you know, they'll probably keep building that in England. That, that But that, I think, is going to be sort of the biggest issue that they face is, is whether or not they can do it sustainably in that country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> depending on what that's, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, that that's that. Yeah, cars are political, and I don't have anything more to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do we want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about the the 450, 450 kilowatt charging or the uh, the Waymo one? Uh, yeah, let's just touch on the the charging. You know, we talked a little bit about charging earlier with the iPace. Yeah. Um, Porsche just announced that they have completed testing um, with uh, a 450 kilowatt DC charging system, which is even uh, they they did a, a joint project with BMW to evaluate this, um, and that goes even above and beyond what is going to be launching next year excuse me, with the, uh, the Taycan, uh, which is going to support 350 kilowatt charging. And right now there's no, there's no, the 350 kilowatt chargers are the most that you can find anywhere in the world. Uh, and there's, there's not many of those yet. Um, but there will be a bunch of them by the time the Taycan comes out next spring. Um, but at 450 kilowatts, uh, they said you can add, uh, what is it? I think, uh, 100 kilometers of charge in three minutes. So about 60 miles of, of charge in about three minutes, uh, which is just, you know, that's bonkers. Uh, that's basically like, you know, the time it takes you to fill up, uh, you know, a gas tank. Yeah. Uh, how does that, doesn't that beat the hell out of the batteries? Um, probably, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> that that is uh that is probably a reality of of charging that fast um but i and i think you know we probably won't actually see anybody implementing 450 kilowatt charging for several years yet until you know until we get some new battery chemistries that can really um withstand that kind of pressure um on a, on a regular basis oh yeah that even that's even true. 350 is going to be tough on batteries yeah, well, there's there's a lot of heat, right? And so if you're not yeah. careful, you you wind up with a fire. <laughs> yeah. Which, what what could be better than a fire at a charging station that's also co-located with a gas station, which is what we keep talking about. That's yeah. Great. Well, that I mean, that's where that's actually where you know a lot of them are now. Is a lot, of, especially the DC ch fast charging stations. Is you know you'll find them at the same sites as gas stations. You know, often often one corner of a gas station. Um. And so the um, I'm reading through their their info on it. So it seems like they're they're working on a standard actually. So it could work for 400 volt and 800 volt systems, and with a common um, you know a uh, common plug. Uh, so, so not trying to just keep it to like Porsche and BMW, but just develop it and then share it with the rest of the industry to to get that adoption. So that yeah, well the the current the current combo charging standard, um, you know they they have two different variations of it: a Type One and Type Two that we use here in North America and in Europe. Here we have the Type One in Europe; they have the Type Two. Uh, but both of those are designed 
they, they were designed in, uh, from you know when they first did them several years ago. They were designed to support up to 450 kilowatt charging. So the the charger won't you know the charge connector shouldn't be a problem. It's just you know and it's just a matter of adding more capacity at the charger. And, uh, you know, then, then it's more on the vehicle side where the potential problems are. Yeah. Well, and Porsche is saying that they're the vehicle that they're testing it with. They've developed a cooling system that gently control. They say gentle, gentle, con, even gentle temperature control in the battery cells. Which, yeah. OK. <laughs> where does the heat go? It has to go somewhere. Well, the, um, I mean, they're, they're liquid. They're, you know, these battery packs are all liquid cooled. Um, so, you know, they'll be circulating coolant through the pack and, you know, it's a matter of designing the pack so that you have, uh, even cooling flow and, you know, you can, you can keep a, a, a relatively even temperature gradient across all the cells. Oh, uh, that and makes then, sense. Yeah. You know, what, what'll, ha- what'll happen is, you know, when, when you're plugged in and charging at this rate, you'll hear the, the cooling fan running, you know, and pumping air through the, through the radiator, you know? So even though these things are electric, they still have a radiator because you've got to cool the battery pack for when you're doing this fast charging or, or when you're doing high performance driving. Uh, Cause you know, when you're, when you're drawing a lot of power from the pack uh, it's also, uh, that also heats up the battery. So whether, whether the, the electrons are going in really fast or coming out really fast, it generates a lot of heat. So, you know, you, you, you still have a radiator to, you know, and, uh, cooling these things. So while it's sitting there plugged in, you'll probably hear the cooling fan running as it circulates the coolant through the radiator. Well, that's good. Then you don't have to use resistive heating all the time in the interior either. You can just you know, suck off some of that battery heat. Yeah. Um, well, that's what, that's what they do. Uh, the most interesting to me too, is that this is, this is a government funded program or at least partially government funded. So there's like mm-hmm. almost 8 million euros that uh, the, the ministry of transport in Germany has, has uh, pumped into this program. Um, so it, it's, it's very different from the, uh, the environment we're seeing here where there's less and less uh, desire to, to fund that kind of thing and to, to really push vehicle efficiency and alternative um, fuels. So I just I wonder if, uh, we're going to, again, sort of look elsewhere for leadership on it versus our automotive industry that's made really great strides in electrification and, and you know, building out the technology. I mean, you look at something like the Bolt, right? It, and, and they just, they're going to wind down the Chevy Volt, but that that was a, an amazing piece of engineering uh, that's just, you know, it, it was sort of it, a lot of reasons why it didn't catch on, but the car itself was was really well engineered. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think I think you know the, the two fundamental problems with the Volt were the packaging. You know, it was yeah. a little bit too small uh, and cramped inside, and then um, just the cost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's like it seems like the the most we're really getting out of uh, commitment right now on a on a federal level for energy efficiency, which is like I mean, you could think that's like a defense initiative or just a Overall, like there's a lot of reasons to efficiently use resources um, is we're getting the tax breaks for EVs and hybrids. And those are, you know, well, even those there's there's there are some in Congress that are trying to kill that. Right. Uh, Versus uh, other places where they're they're working on, you know, quickly investing in this stuff to to see the change. So, uh, yeah, 
again, I don't have a conclusion to that. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's make a conclusion to the podcast, though. Uh, okay. Waymo One, has launched yeah. their RoboTaxi. Um, and I, sort the of, most kind of. Yeah. The most hilarious thing I found was that um, people hate them. And some people. And they will do things like stand in front of them. <laughs> yeah, well, them. you know, uh, as I told uh, somebody from NPR yesterday, um, you know, uh, humans are terrible. We're, we're, we're just <laughs> we're just a horrible species. We are. Um, you know, and give, given the opportunity, we will do terrible things. Um, you know, I mean, you know, vandalism is not uncommon, you know, pretty much anywhere you go. Um, you know, road rage is, is a real issue. Uh, you know, when people get frustrated or for whatever reason, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, slash tires or, you know, go vote for a Cheeto. Um, you know, they, they do all kinds of nasty things. So, <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, in, in, uh, Chandler where, uh, Waymo is operating most of their, uh, automated, uh, Chrysler Pacificas, you know, there are some people who are, who are getting frustrated by these things, you know, and it could be a question of, you know, that they're driving too slow or too cautiously. Um, you know, some people may be frustrated at the prospect of, of losing their jobs. You know, there's, a, you know, several million people in this country that earn their living by driving. Um, and, you know, there's you know, over the, the long haul, there's a significant uh, probability that, you know, they will lose those jobs that, or those jobs will disappear at some point. Um, although it's probably going to take a lot longer for those jobs to disappear than, than a lot of people think. Um, but, you know, and particularly, you know, when you look at, you know, the pace of this uh, launch last week, uh, you know, Waymo officially launched their Waymo one service, which is their robo taxi service in Chandler. And while Waymo has been doing testing, you know, kind of around the greater Phoenix area, the this uh, service, you know, is actually much more limited in its scope. Um, you know, they're starting they started off with, you know, they, they had about 400 people in their early rider program that launched about a year and a half ago, which was their their beta program for this. And about two thirds of those people you know, have now been transferred over from the early rider program into Waymo one, which is now the paid commercial service. Um, and they're going to gradually open it up, open up the service to anybody that wants to use these vehicles, you know, that wants to hail a ride from these vehicles. Uh, but they're doing that very slowly and only, you know, as they're confident that everything's working. Um, and the area where they're operating in is basically just right around Chandler. Uh, and it's roughly a hundred square mile area. Um, Chan the city of Chandler itself is about 65 square miles. Um, the city of Phoenix is, you know, for scale um, is about 517 square miles. So, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty small area where they're operating, you know, and if you wanted, if you needed to go from Chandler into Phoenix, Chandler is a suburb of Phoenix. If you wanted to go into the city of Phoenix or Scottsdale, um, you're going to have to find a different way to get there. These, these vans are not going to get you there right now. Um, and uh, the pricing for the van, you know, for the Waymo one service is currently a little bit higher than for an Uber or Lyft uh, for the same ride. Um, not a whole, not by much, but just it's a little bit more. And also they're not exactly completely driverless. There's still an Uber staff person in, in these vans. Um, 
mostly there to answer questions and assist, you know, and help people understand what's going on. But, um, you know, there, there is somebody there that can take over if, if necessary. Well, you know, Waymo, I think they're really out in front of just about everybody else with their program. And they're a lot quieter about what they're doing, I think, than, than, um, somebody like, uh, Uber, uh, has been They're They're very methodical and careful. They're taking Mm -hmm. real engineers approach. It's informed by, I think it's got to be informed by John Krafchick and his experience in the automotive industry. Oh, absolutely. Deploy this stuff and, and doing it carefully. And even his statements recently have been like, look, like (laughs) this stuff is not coming and and it's, it's coming, but it's not going to be like five years. It's more like, like think decades and and that's a, a better timeline. And just to have that, that realism, uh, is is refreshing uh, versus all of the other hot takes out there that say like, oh, you know, all the regular car companies are not going to be around in five years. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, they're they're not going away anytime soon. Um, the you know the the other uh, thing here is that you know while you know Waymo has proclaimed this the first commercial automated driving automated ride hailing service even that is not uh entirely accurate um since you know starting in january of this year aptive and lyft uh you know started doing a pilot in las vegas uh you know during ces uh, last january they they started they started giving rides uh in their fleet of automated vehicles you know up and down the las vegas strip and as of october they you know they after ces was done they continued the program so basically you know if you're in las vegas if you're at any of the major hotels and if you open up the lyft app if there's one of those vehicles nearby it will you'll get the option to ride you know to to take your ride in an automated uh bmw um built by uh, built by aptive uh as a as an alternative to a regular human driven lift vehicle and as of october they had given over 20,000 paid rides uh, so, you know, they've actually been operating what is essentially an equivalent service, you know, a paid, you know, commercial ride hailing service since January of this year. So in Waymo, isn't even really the first to do this. Well, they'll tell you they're the best. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in, in I, I, many I, respects, they probably are. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, and, and I think too, like, although, although, you know, in my own experience and having ridden in many of these vehicles, I wouldn't say that they're you know, many of these vehicles from different companies. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily head and shoulders above anybody else. I mean, I, I'd say they, they have a, they have an edge right now, but not by a whole lot. Well, you're in that place. Like it's a nascent technology. So they're all trying to solve the same problems and they're using different approaches. And at a certain point, some of them are just going to get solved by the, there's going to be that sort of best approach that that happens and and that that will sort of just become a more widely adopted way to solve that particular problem and as we have seen in the regular auto industry when they were sorting out the cars that we have today 100 years ago there were a lot of different solutions to things that are just sort of you know very commonly solved across the industry um yeah um i think the people in te- in arizona they have a right to be jerks to these cars to a certain degree. I mean, like the, the, uh, the well, you know, Uber I, crash I, happened in what Tempe. Yeah, it was in Tempe. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know that anybody necessarily has a right to be a jerk. You know, I mean, 
you can, you know, you can be frustrated, but you don't, you don't have to go beat up a, a car or slash the tires, you know, or, you know, yeah, throw I disagree- paint at it or something. I disagree. I guess I, I understand, um, you know, that it's, it's in their community and, uh, it has an impact and that can be frustrating. And, you know, from, from far away, it's easy to, to just sort of laugh at it. But I think if I had automated cars driving up and down the streets in my neighborhood and, and just sort of being there all the time, it, it would also be a thing that I may react to. I don't think I would vandalize anything, but I, I would loudly complain possibly. <laughs> Cause I do. That. You loudly yeah. complain, Dan. Yeah. I can't imagine that. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's a podcast, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we didn't Button get any questions. I didn't. I didn't see uh, much. Uh, there was one, but we'll come back to it next week. All right. Uh, so with late. that, we have we have finished out this podcast. So thanks everybody for listening. You know where to find us. Uh, we are at Wheelbearings on Twitter. We are Wheelbearing Media on uh, Facebook. Uh, you can email us. I think it's Wheelbearings at or wheelbearings podcast at wheelbearings.com or gmail i don't know uh wheel wheelbearingscast at gmail.com or just just use the contact just use the contact link uh um on wheelbearings.media and it'll get to us correct that's what i was gonna say go to the site (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you can listen to us there and uh please you know feel free to leave leave us a review of the show uh in itunes or uh what other other application you're using um and uh yeah we'll see everybody next time All right. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.